day-to-day decisions are easy, but life-changing choices are tough. There are times we struggle, calculating and recalculating which direction to go. We try to map out our lives. Who should I marry? What job should I take? What's my purpose? We start wishing there was a GPS for life. But God doesn't want us wandering. He wants to guide you through the different turns of life. He knows you better than you know yourself. And He has uniquely designed a route for you. Divine Direction. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing? All right. I'm so excited to be with you guys here today. My name is Nithin. I'm one of the pastors here. You can see it's N-I-T-H-I-N, not A-N, or O. You know, it's not Pastor Nothing. It's Pastor Nithin. So just wanted to get that out there. You know, autocorrect is a terrible thing. So, uh, but listen, I'm excited to be with you guys here. Thanks for laughing at my joke. Um, As we are wrapping up our series, Divine Direction. And what we've been doing is looking over the past few weeks at one of the most popular questions, like in the top five that Pastor Tim and I get, which is, what is God's will for my life? What is it that God wants me to do in terms of my housing situation? Should we rent? Should we buy? Should we expand our family? Or how about school? Like, should I go to college or a vocational school? Should I uh, maybe, uh, you know, transfer schools? Or what, what are those questions there? God, what do you want me to do? Or how about in relationships, right? Should we break up? Should we get married? Should I stay single? You know, we, we have these questions and also about our career. God, do we stay in my job now or do I go and leave and find something else? We have all these questions about what God wants us to do. And Pastor Tim's kind of been taking us through these different passages in the scriptures to help us navigate this question. How do we know what God's will is for our lives? In fact, one of the key verses that we have been landing on over and over again, in fact, you guys have probably have this memorized by now, is in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, which says, in fact, why don't we do this? Why don't we actually say this all together in one loud voice? Ready? We can make our plans. But the Lord determines our steps. And I think there's a really healthy tension here between plans and steps. Because I think it's important for us to plan well, to get the best we can of human wisdom and insight and advice. But then there's a place we actually need to leave room for the Spirit of God to actually give us direction, to actually tell us what to do. In fact, Pastor Tim told these incredible stories about Peter and Paul. Paul who had this vision from God about what he's supposed to do and where he's supposed to go. And then Peter literally had someone knocking on his door saying, the Holy Spirit told me to come, now follow me. Now I don't know about you, but when I'm in the midst of making decisions, God doesn't normally give me a vision or have someone show up at my door. Usually the biggest question I'm trying to figure out is, is this my will or is this God's will? Is this Nithin leading or is this God leading? And and that's kind of the, the tension I'm in. And maybe you're in that tension as well when it comes to making decisions. And if that's you, I just want to let you know that today we're going to look at four principles to help us learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Four principles that you can start putting into practice today that are going to help you listen to God with greater frequency and clarity. Because it's an important thing for us to be able to hear God speak to us. In fact, that's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. He actually guides us into all truth. If we take a look at John chapter 16, it kind of lays this out for us. It says this, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will what? Say this with me. Guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he what? Hears. 
So not only does the Holy Spirit guide us into what we need to believe, like right truth, or even right behavior, how we're supposed to live, but the Spirit of God will also show us what that next step is. Because as we take into account of all of the human wisdom that we get, sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you're not making a decision between something good or bad. Sometimes two really good things. Or even maybe we need, we don't, we're not really sure what we're supposed to do. For instance, I have a friend of mine, and uh, they had been expanding their family about a couple years ago. They adopted uh, their first son from Korea, and it was kind of a, a stressful process, but they, you know, they love their son. It's been an incredible time for them. And now they're in this new kind of place where they're like, we're trying to decide whether we need to adopt again, whether we should do it locally, or, or maybe do the international process again about expanding our family. We're not really sure what to do, so we're going to take a season to fast and to pray so that we can better listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. I have another friend who uh, has been working with this organization, and he loves what he does, but the organization's really dysfunctional. The culture there is super unhealthy. And his boss is about to step down. And he's thinking, you know, maybe I could step in and step up and be the boss and actually start making things better. But he knows he's going to have to dig out of all that garbage that's there first. Because then he's trying to figure out, well, maybe I should just walk away and actually find something that's actually going to be already healthy. It's already in a good spot. You see, for some of these decisions, there's not a Bible verse that we can turn to, and we can get all the human advice that we want, but it just doesn't seem enough. We actually need to listen to the Spirit's voice. And if I can be, you know, really honest with you, that's kind of the place where my wife and I are right now. Um, a couple years ago, when we first got married, we moved in this little apartment in Somerville, New Jersey. In fact, here's a picture of right here. We were living right above this dentist's office, and we had this little apartment here. It was perfect. We loved being in Somerville. We had the train right there. We had all these incredible restaurants, like Cluck U for fine dining. You know, it was, it was great. And so we were living there, and then we had our first child, Selah. And now we're like, you know, we, it's a little cramped. We'd love to have a little bit more room. We'd love to have a yard for our kids to play in. And, uh, but we're like, you know, we can't afford it. This is New Jersey. But then God opened up a door. And we were able to rent for the same amount we paid for this apartment, an entire house in North Plainfield, New Jersey. And so we've been living here. And yes, my Christmas lights are still up. What of it? That's right. We're staying lit all year round. So, you know, we, you know, you know we, God gave, kind of gave us this house, which gave us an opportunity to kind of, you know, pay down our debt. We had a yard. We had got great neighbors. It's a phenomenal neighborhood. And we've really been just enjoying the time uh, of just being at this house. Well, about a month ago, my landlord called me and he said, hey, Nathan, uh, I just want to give you a heads up. Uh, we're thinking about selling the house. And we want to know what you think. Do you want to buy it or do you want to move on? Like, just, we just want to know it's just for planning. And even though it probably shouldn't have taken us off guard, we were like, oh, uh, uh, we don't know what to do. And so now we're kind of in this place where we're just kind of praying, God, what do we do about this home situation? And all these questions are kind of tumbling out of my head, like, is this an opportunity? Is this a door that God is opening up? Or is this a distraction? Is this something that's going to get us into more debt that we might need to get out of? Is this the opportunity that God's saying, I know it's uncomfortable, but you need to take that step? Or, is it so, or are we feeling kind of rushed, like we have to make a decision really fast? And so that's kind of the place we're in. How many of you have ever been in that place where you've got all these decisions, not A or B, but you've got a plethora? Maybe you've been in that situation where you're not sure what to do, but you really need to learn to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. So how do we do that? How do we listen to the Holy Spirit in these times of choice? 
Now, like I said, I want to give you four principles, four things that you can do right away that's going to help you be able to listen to the Spirit of God with greater clarity and frequency. And we find these principles in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. So you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. If it's on your phones, it's also printed in your notes. You can kind of go ahead and, and turn there as we get some clarity on how we can hear God speak. Now, let me give you a little bit of background here. Now Samuel is actually a prophet of God. And this book is actually written about the history of ancient Israel through the eyes of Samuel. And here's a picture of Samuel as an, an older man. Um, but Samuel is a prophet. Now, don't get tripped up on that word if maybe you're not like really into the Bible. Really what that means is that Samuel had the ability to listen specifically to God and then was God's megaphone. So God would give a divine download into Samuel and Samuel would disseminate that information so the people could hear. So this is kind of the origin story of Samuel. It's like the Peter Parker got bit by the, piter, pipe, the piper, spider. This is like his origin story of how Samuel got called to be a prophet of God. That's a tongue twister there. So why don't we go ahead and look at verse 1 in 1 Samuel 3. It says this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was, say this with me, rare, there were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see. So let me give you the setup here. We have a guy named Eli, who is the quarterback for the New York Giants, right? Just kidding. No, he, Eli is actually one of the spiritual leaders in ancient Israel, and he's old. He, his eyesight is deteriorating. I don't know if he needs readers or Coke bottle glasses. He's got like this Mr. Magoo thing going where he just can't see very well. And then you've got this kid, Samuel. He's 10 years old. He's the church intern, okay? He gets the coffee. He does all the administrative tasks that no one wants to do. And, and so Samuel's there to learn from Eli. And so that's kind of the, the situation that we find ourselves in. And then it says this in the next verse, verse 3. Samuel was lying down in the, where is he lying down? Temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. And the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered. He said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went back and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lay down. Y'all know what's going on here, right? How many of you are parents of small children? You know, you know what, what I'm talking about here? It's like you go into battle royale mode to get that kid to bed, right? It's a battle getting him up the stairs. You're like, you know, trying to get him to take a bath, maybe drowning him a little bit just to, you know, weaken their resolve. Just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, you know, you, you know, they're arguing with you. One more story, mommy. One more story. And then all the, you know, it's, you know what the routine is. And finally you get them down and they're out and they're quiet. And you're like, yes. Now I'm going to go to bed. Then you put yourself to bed, right? And then this happens, right? And for some, it's always 3 a.m. when this next part happens, right? You know what I'm saying? It's the witching hour. And so you're finally in bed. You're asleep. The REM cycle's going. And then all of a sudden, you feel a presence hovering over you. <laughs> and you look over, and you open your eyes, and there's two little eyes looking back at you. And it's your kid holding a knife. Just kidding, they're not holding a knife. But, and then they're like, are you awake? Well, I am now, 
right? And you're like, ah, you know, you know I just put you to bed. And that, you, know, you, you know, either they, you know, our kids try to sneak back into bed, but we try to put them back. And, and that's kind of the routine. And so poor Eli is trying to get some sleep, and this kid keeps showing up in his room. And, 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 and he's like, what is happening here? And that's when we go to the next verse, in verse 7. It says this. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been what? Revealed to him. Sam was having a God encounter, didn't even know it. And the Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up, and he went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. So I'm, I'm sure at some point Eli's like, all right, I, I'm awake now. And he's realizing what's going on. Because then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say what? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. See, Eli was helping Samuel, he was coaching him to know what to do when God comes to speak to you. And after this, God shows up again in verse 10. It says this, The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, and then why don't we all say this together in one loud voice, Speak, for your servant is listening. In this passage, in these 10 words, in 10 verses, I believe God wants to give us four principles that we can put into practice so that we can start hearing God with greater clarity and greater insight. And the first is this, is we need to obey what you already know. You need to obey what you already know. When we see the story that's set up in verse 1, it says this, In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, there were not many visions. Now, this phrase, in those days, is actually a reference to a specific time in the history of Israel where God and the people were not on speaking terms. It was the time known as the Judges, where God had clearly revealed, this is my word, this is my commandment, this is how you're called to live. And the people just basically ignored God and did their own thing. And they were kind of creating their own moral and spiritual landscape, but it was just chaos. The people, instead of being united as one, were actually divided by tribes. They were engaged in tribal warfare. They were killing each other, worshiping false gods. It was a mess. It was actually moral and spiritual chaos. Because the people had put themselves on spiritual airplane mode. Y'all know what airplane mode is? If you pull out your phone, you hit airplane mode, people will text you, people will call you, but you won't be able to get any of it because you're offline. And the people were offline to the words of God. Now, I want you to hear this. I think that many times as Christians, we can put ourselves on spiritual airplane mode. Often we're like, God, I want your will. I want your will. I want to know what you want me to do in, in, in love or in school. But the reason why we haven't heard anything is because we forget that 98% of God's will has already been revealed to us through the written and revealed word of God. The spirit of God has preserved his words so that we can know what God has already said. And when we open up God's word and we read it and we understand it and we say, I'm going to obey this, we oftentimes, all that confusion about what God is saying, it's cleared up pretty quick. Let me give you an example. There's a, there's a guy I kind of ran into, and he said to me, Nathan, I want to sign. You want to sign for what? I want, I want to know who God wants me to marry. I want to know if this girl is the one. I go, okay, well, well tell me about her. Well, it's not one, it's three. Okay, um, well, you know, I, I met these three different girls. I met one girl at work, one girl at the gym, and one girl was a friend, a friend of a friend. And so I'm just trying to figure out which one God wants me to marry, so I need a sign. I'm like, okay, okay interesting. Um, 
And, and you know, oftentimes we, we kind of approach God that way. We want, a, we want a billboard. We want a really big sign that God says, here's what you need to do. When really God hasn't given us a big sign because he says, I want you to actually do the basics. I want you to actually get into God's word. Especially when it comes to relationships, right? We want a sign. Do we marry? Do we not marry? But did you know that God has actually revealed his will for relationships in the Bible? He's actually showed us what his will is. If we could take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it kind of sets it out this way. It says this. It is God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. Whose will is this? It's God's will. So I talk to this guy, and I go, so, you know, what, what do you feel like is kind of like getting in the way of you trying to figure out what God's will is with these three girls? He goes, well, I'm just not sure. That's why I need a sign. Like, I've hooked up with two of them, and it just, you know, just doesn't feel right yet. And I go, I'm thinking, this dude's a moron. Like, does he think he's on The Bachelor? Like, what is happening here? I mean, imagine, you put your pastor hat on, and what would you say to this guy? You'd say, listen, God ain't going to show you what your next step is until you do the basics. Until you get this part right, you ain't going to get revelation of what the next part is. And I think so often we look for the billboards when God says, just stick to the basics, and you'll see it. In fact, you know, I was mentoring a guy, and he was saying, you know, Nathan, I really would love some prayer. I need to figure out what God's will is for school. Um, he was going to a community college trying to transfer. He's like, I really want to know what God is saying about this, but I'm also dating this girl, and this is kind of tied into that decision. Do we move away from her? And so I'm really trying to figure out what God is saying. Will you just meet with me to pray? And I said, absolutely. So we met once a month. We'd pray and we'd talk. And, and one of those months he came in and he said to me, Nathan, I just, I got to be really honest with you. Um, I don't know how to say this. I feel kind of ashamed, but I've been struggling with pornography. And I've been really, I feel really dirty and I feel really bad about it. I didn't want to tell you, but I felt like it was the right thing to do. And, you know, I just looked at him and said, you know, I, I know this is really hard for you to say, but this is a moment that's a game changer. This could change everything in your relationship with God and just who you are as becoming as a man. And so we prayed in that moment and we asked God to forgive him. And he said, God, I'm going to turn away from this. I'm going to repent. And he, and he did. He took some major steps. He got an accountability partner. He put some software in his computer, and he took some steps to kind of walk in, in sexual purity. I saw him about a month later, and, he's, and I asked him, hey, how's, he do, how's it going? And he said, Nathan, things are incredible. Like, I've been focusing on actually knowing God's will and, and, just, and, and just in purity, and, and it's been incredible just seeing what God's been doing in my life, and I'm learning and I'm growing. But you know what's so interesting? I haven't thought anything about school or even my relationship. And then one day, God just made it crystal clear. Like, I felt the Spirit say, here's what I need to do in my school situation. And I felt the Spirit say, you know, what I need to do with things with my girlfriend. And it just felt, felt right. It just made sense. And you know what happened, right? He took care of this, and God took care of this. You know, so often we're like, you know, why isn't God telling me what my next step is? Well, it's because your next step is to know what he's already said, and then go and do it. Because when we are at a place where we're saying, all right, I'm going to obey what God has already said, then God will reveal what the next step is. So obey what you already know. Obey what you already know. The Spirit is actually speaks through the Scriptures, through the Bible. If you want to know what the Spirit of God says, start reading the Scriptures, start understanding them in their context, and then do what it tells you to do. And this sets up, us up nicely for the second principle, which is this. Walk closely with God. Walk closely with God. And even as a young boy, Samuel modeled what it looks like to walk closely with God. It says in the next verse, 
about Samuel that he was lying down in where? The temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. You know, the Jewish people, when they saw the temple, the, the temple for them was like this intersection between heaven and earth. It was like a bridge between these two realities. And then there was the ark of God where they believed the Holy Spirit lived, which now, you know, as Christians, we believe the Holy Spirit now dwells with us. Do you guys know what the ark of the covenant was? How many of you have seen Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, this is the argument, that thing that was melting the faces of Nazis. That is where the Holy Spirit lived. And so Samuel is placing himself in the holiest spot in the entire universe. And he's hanging out there. He's sleeping there. He's literally in the presence of God. Why is he doing that? Because Samuel loves God. Samuel loves the Lord and he wants to grow in that relationship. You know, often people ask me, you know, Nathan, what's the biggest difference between Christianity and and other religions? And what I tell people, you know, there's lots of things we can go into, but the main one is that Christianity is about a relationship with a person, not a religious system. It's about relationship, not religion. Because, you see, in a relationship, it's about growing in trust, and it's growing in intimacy with someone. It's kind of getting to know them and kind of being around them and growing in, in that kind of knowingness. While a religion is a a man-made system of do's and don'ts, it's about controlling behavior, or you can say certain things and not say certain things and do certain things, not certain things. You know, I kind of grew up in a religious backdrop where you had all these rules of you have to live this way, you've got to talk this way, you've got to believe certain things. But the problem is the more I tried to conform, the more I kind of couldn't do it. And the more it would just kind of fall apart. But when I started seeing faith as a relationship with Jesus, it became living. It became a breath of fresh air. It was something I looked forward to, that I could connect with the God of the universe, the God that created me, the God that redeemed me and know him. It was a game changer for how I approached life and how I approached decisions. Now, I don't just see decision makings as I want the right outcome, which I still do, but decisions are also an opportunity for me to encounter the living God, for me to encounter Christ. This past week, I got an email from a mom, and her son has Down syndrome, and she's kind of been sharing with me how, you know, she's realized that even in all the things that she, in her circumstances that she wants God to change, God's actually been growing and changing her. She writes this in her email. She says, for years I prayed for my son's speech. Her son has Down syndrome. Asking God to help him loosen his tongue and develop words. For years I felt that nothing happened, neither improvement nor regression, just the same. What I did feel was God drawing me closer to him and crafting a deep work in my heart of surrender and of deeper intimacy with him. The best way I can explain it is that I felt God wanting me to experience the level of trust, bonding, joy, surrender that forms in a relationship when you're in the waiting process. He wanted me to just experience him without necessarily giving me what I was asking for. My son is now almost seven years old, and it's been in the last year that I've seen words come with the frequency I wanted when he was younger. See, sometimes God will change our circumstances, but more often he'll use our circumstances to change us. You know, it's the waiting process. What is it that Tom Petty says? The waiting is the hardest part, but this is the part where God does the most transformation. This is the part where God does the most growth. As we are asking God and as we're waiting for him to answer us, that is where he develops our character and transforms us from the inside out. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I'm asking God for a healing that I haven't gotten yet. I'm asking God for insight about a job and he hasn't met me there yet or a relationship or what school I should go to. But be aware of this. 
God is not doing nothing in that process. He's changing and transforming you. Because you see, God just doesn't want to do things for you. He wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And so this is the opportunity that we have. We want to listen to the Holy Spirit. A major part of that is the Spirit is actually giving us a desire to be around God. The more we are with Christ, the more we are around him, the more we start to talk like him and act like him and start to listen and recognize his voice when he speaks to us. So let's review. If we want to listen to the Holy Spirit, we need to obey what we already know. God has given us his word. He speaks through his word. If we want to know what he says, 98% of it has already been revealed to us. Then we need to walk closely with God. We need to cultivate a relationship. And the more we're with God, the more we know what he's like and the more we're sensitive to his voice. And then the third principle is we need to seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. When we look at verse 7, it's really interesting. It says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been what? Revealed to him. Now, this is interesting to me, because when God first spoke to Samuel, he didn't just say, here I am. What's up, God? He didn't know. He didn't know that it was the God of the universe that was speaking to him. And you know what that tells me? It tells me that learning to hear the voice of God is just that. It's a process that takes practice and time. We can actually learn how to listen to the voice of God. And, and, you know, there, when I'm in times of choice, I'm trying to figure out what is God saying to me, uh, one of the things I like to do is kind of get away and try to find some time of, and space of quiet. So sometimes I'll wake up early at like 4 or 5, and I'll try to get my journal out. And I'll just start writing. I'll say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me right now? Would you give me insight and decision about the decisions I need to make today or, or with the house or whatever it is? And I'll just start writing. And I won't censor. I'll just start writing, write, 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 write. I'm not going to censor it. I just let it all just kind of pour out on the page. And then once I kind of get this journal full of writing, what I try to do next is I take the scriptures and I try to kind of look at it through the filter of scripture to say, okay, is this me or is this God? And then after I do that, there may be some other points where I'm like, you know, I think I need to have wise people speak into this. And I go find people who I know hear from God and know God and they, they're connected with him and they know his voice. And I ask them, hey, does this sound like it's, it's from God or is this my own thought? Do you think this is the right timing for this? And, and we talk about this and it really is super helpful to be able to hear the spirit of God through wise people. In fact, I think we see this model in verse 9 where it says this. It says, it says Eli, after Samuel shows up again in his room the last time, he says, go and lie down. And if he, meaning the Lord, calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servants what? Listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. See, Eli, in that moment, functions in this role as the coach. He's helping Samuel recognize the voice of God. And once Samuel is able to recognize the voice of God, he's able to obey and do what God says. Because Eli was in his life to help him recognize and discern that. You know what's so interesting, you know, as we're in this process of trying to discern what we need to do in terms of uh, getting a house, uh, I've been talking to a lot of people, I've been doing a lot of research on the internet, reading books, trying to get as much advice and as much wisdom as possible. But then in, this, in the midst of this, God kind of convicted me and said, well, Nathan, you're getting the best human wisdom possible, but who are you gathering around you to pray with you? to seek God's will with you, that are going to help you storm the gates of hell as you're trying to see what God wants you to do next. And that's when I called two friends of mine. They're actually pastors here on staff, Pastor Jason Luke and uh, Pastor Kyler. Now, this is Pastor Jason's prayer face. 
So when Pastor Jason's praying for you, man, it's like the gates of hell are shaking and Satan's running. So this is the guy you want praying for you. And, and so uh, Pastor Jason and Kyle, they have been incredible. And so, you know, when I'm you know, about to go to a meeting or about to make a phone call, I'll send them a text saying, hey, guys, can you pray just for wisdom and insight and clarity as I'm about to go and do this? And they pray. And I know they're praying. And I'll tell you what, man, like in this whole process, there are so many voices screaming, right? There's voices of anxiety. There's voices of fear. There's, there's all this advice that contradicts sometimes. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is God saying? And to know that these guys are praying for me builds my confidence. So knowing that these guys have got my back in prayer, it's been a huge blessing. I know maybe you're like, well, Nathan, it's nice that you have pastor friends that pray, uh, but I don't have that. Well, I want to encourage you. That's the whole reason why we have small groups here at Liquid Church. The reason why we have small groups is that so you can find a group of other Christ followers that can encourage you, that can open up the scriptures with you, that can pray with you, and even help you discern what is of God and what is of not. Because sometimes, as we're learning to listen to the voice of God, we get a lot of stuff that's static that may not be from God. You know, like, like maybe sometimes, you know, I heard one person say, you know, Nathan, I feel like God is telling me that I should be a worship leader. Have you ever sung before? No. Okay. Um, you might want to maybe try doing that first. Well, you know, you know, Clint, the worship director, he never sang until he came to Liquid, so I figured that would work for me. Okay, interesting. <laughs> well, what does your small group say? Well, they told me I shouldn't do it, and it's not of God. I think you should go with them. <laughs> but, you know, that's the role of, of other believers in our lives. They help us discern what's of God, what's not of God. And, and so if you don't have people in your life that are praying with you, where can you find them? Who are the people that are in your life that are right now praying with you as you're trying to figure out what you're doing for school? I remember when I was trying to choose a college, I had my mom would show up in my room whether I wanted to or not and say, I'm praying for you to find the right college. Or who's praying for you in your marriage if your marriage is struggling? Who are the people that are storming the gates of hell for you in your marriage or in your choice of career? Because we need people that are in our lives that will hold us up in prayer so we can get wise counsel from who know the voice of God and aren't afraid to lean into it with us. So if we want to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, we need to obey what, what we already know. God has already spoken through his word, and we can rely on that. And then number two, we need to walk closely with God. We need to cultivate a relationship with him of intimacy and trust where we can lean in him and lean on him. And then number three, we need to seek wise counsel. Who are the people in our lives that we're looking to to help us kind of discern what God is saying versus our own thoughts or our own desires? And the final principle, which I think is the most important, is to surrender your will to God. Surrender your will to God. And even as a young boy, Samuel models this so incredibly well. Let's take a look at verse 10, where it says, The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak. For your servant is listening. This word listening here is an interesting word. Because it means I'm going to listen with the intent of doing. Before you've even said anything. So Samuel was essentially saying this. You know what God? I, whatever you say to do, I'm going to do. I, I'm going to do it even if it's hard. I'm going to do it if it's weird. I'm going to do it if it's uncomfortable. God, I'm here. You know, here I am. You know, I have this posture of doing whatever you say. Samuel had a heart that was surrendered to God, which is in contrast to kind of, uh, kind of a thought that's in our culture, which kind of can be summarized by the bumper sticker, Jesus is my co-pilot. 
You guys know what I mean by Jesus is my co-pilot? Basically, I'm in the driver's seat. Jesus is riding shotgun, right? I am the leader, and Jesus, you're following me. So, so Jesus, this is where I'm going to go to school, God. I need you to bless that. And, and, and Jesus, he's the guy I'm going to marry. Make sure he's not a psychopath. You know? And Jesus, this is the job I'm going to take. Uh, I want to make partner in this number of years. So Jesus, I'm going to lead. You are going to follow me. Here's the problem with that. Jesus is a terrible follower because he's the leader. Jesus ain't your co-pilot. Jesus is driving. And you're not riding shotgun. You're in the back seat. Some of you are in the trunk, right? <laughs> and, and so often we kind of get in this kind of situation where we're like, you know, you know we, we want to put our desires above God's desires. We want God to bless the plans that we've already made. But what happens is we start spinning out of control. We start to go in the wrong direction. And the biggest danger is we miss out on what God wants to say because our will is not surrendered to him. We say, God, you can muck around with all this other stuff, but this is mine. This is, this is, this is my, my will right here. You can't do anything with this. But when we are able to come to God and open our hands to him and release and be free, God shows up and he transforms us in deep, deep ways. I had the chance to see this uh, unfold last week. How many of you were here last week uh, for our prayer service? Yeah, it was an incredible time. Uh, Pastor Tim was preaching on, on prayer, and as he was preaching, he actually invited all of us to come forward for prayer, and hundreds and hundreds of people came forward. And so I was over here in, in this aisle as the prayer traffic controller, making sure everyone got someone to pray for them, make sure they were covered in prayer. And while I was doing that, um, towards the end, a woman approached me and said, Pastor, could you pray for me? And I said, absolutely. And so we sat down, and, and, she, and I asked, what would you like prayer for? And she said, well, my son, his heart is really hard towards God. I know he's, he had a relationship with God at one point, but he's just really hard towards God, and I just don't know what to do. We've tried arguing and bribing and all this other stuff, and I said, well, why don't we pray? So we, we just sat and we prayed, and as we were praying, I was like, God, I just pray for her son that you would bless him. I pray, God, that you'd open his heart to you, and God, would you do whatever it takes to reach and soften his heart? And in that moment, she stopped me and said, um, I have a hard time praying that. I said, well, why? I'm just afraid what God will have to do to soften his heart. Like, I just don't know what God is going to do. And it scares me as a mom. And so I asked her, do you believe that God is good? Yeah. Do you believe that God loves your son more than you could ever love him? I do. Will you trust God in this? And the focus of the prayer became less about her son and more about surrendering her will to him. And so I invited her to pray a prayer of surrender. And she said, and she said this, God, I surrender my fear to you. I surrender my son to you. I surrender uh, trying to control the situation because, God, I know that you are in complete control of this. You love my son more than I could ever love him. And let me tell you something. Something beautiful happened in that moment. In that moment of pure surrender, we felt the Spirit of God in a tangible way. Because when we are able to come to God with an open heart and an open hands and say, God, not my will but yours, not my agenda but your agenda, we're going to be able to hear God clearly. Because he's saying, I can't speak to you unless you take your hands off your ears so that I can say what needs to be said.
That's the power of a surrendered life. But it's power that we don't get on our own. It's actually power that we get from Jesus because he had to walk the path of surrender. You know, when Jesus, um, on the week that he was about to be killed, he had to take a journey. He was taking a journey to Jerusalem, and as he was moving on that journey, the disciples stopped him. And they said, Jesus, you can't go, you can't go to Jerusalem because you know what's going to happen in Jerusalem? They're going to kill you. They're going to they're set a trap for you, Jesus. You just need to stay as far away from Jerusalem as possible. But Jesus, knowing the Father's will, said, the divine direction that God has given me says, I have to go to Jerusalem to fulfill the Father's will. And so Jesus takes this journey, but on his way to that journey, he stops at a place called Gethsemane. And in this place, Jesus had a vulnerable and real moment with God where Jesus prayed this radical prayer. It was this prayer. He says, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So this was a moment of decision that, that, that just didn't impact Jesus, but actually the entire redemptive history of the universe. In this moment, Jesus acknowledged his humanity and said, God, I don't want to go through suffering. Don't we pray that prayer? God, would you spare me from suffering? Would you spare me from hurt? Would you spare me from the difficulty of this life? Jesus is saying, I don't want to go there, God. But it's not about me. It's not about my will. It's about your will. And so, Jesus, God, I choose to follow you. I choose to surrender my will to yours. And then Jesus finished the journey to Jerusalem where he was arrested, beaten, tortured, and finally killed on a Roman cross. Jesus surrendered his will to God. And Jesus asks us to do the same. He says, will you follow me? And following Jesus isn't always roses. Sometimes it involves pain. It involves sacrifice. It involves not understanding where we're going, but we just got to move in that direction. It involves taking up our own cross, our own suffering, and our own weaknesses, and, and taking those on and say, God, I know that it's not about me, and you want to crucify my will. You want to kill my will so that I can come before you with no agenda, with an open heart and open hands. This is the place that our Lord and our Master was able to go first, and he invites us to go with him to that place. So I have a question for you. What is it that you need to surrender to God? What is it that you need to surrender to God today? And maybe you're in this place, and you're like, you know, I haven't heard God's voice. I want to know what he's saying, but I can't hear him. It's not clear because there's something that you need to surrender. So what is it that you need to surrender to God? Maybe you're in this place, you know, kind of where I am and my wife is, where you need to kind of surrender. All right, God, I have my thoughts and ideas, but I want your will. And maybe you and I need to take this posture to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
or maybe it's in the areas of education, and you really are just like, I'm not sure what to do, and I'm hearing all these voices, my parents and my own desires, my friends. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. God, I've got this relationship, and I'm not sure what to do. Do we get married? Do we break up? I just, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God, I've got this career path, and I know it's the best path for me uh, from a worldly perspective, but speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Are we listening, church? Because God is speaking. But are we surrendered enough to listen? And in a moment, I want us to take a moment to actually practice and, and listen to the Holy Spirit to enter in a moment of surrender. And to do that, we're going to enter into a moment that the church has done for thousands of years called communion. In fact, I want to go ahead and release the ushers right now. You can pass out the communion elements. They're going to pass down the popcorn bucket, and inside you'll have one of these communion cups. It's really a symbol of surrender. And as the ushers are passing these down, once you get the, the communion cup in your hand, you can go ahead and peel off the top layer, which is this film. And underneath is the wafer. You can hold it in your hands. And then you can peel off the foil, which is the juice. You can hold that as well. You see, on the night that Jesus went to Gethsemane, before that he was having dinner with his best friends. And they were hanging out, and they are talking, they are laughing, and then there was a moment where things got real serious and things got real quiet. And then Jesus lifted up the bread and he said, you guys, you know what this is? This isn't bread. This is actually my body. It's broken for you. It's broken so that you would experience the forgiveness of sins. It's broken so that you would experience the ability to hear the voice of God. It's broken so that you would experience being invited into this new endeavor to partner with me in bringing new creation to this broken world that we're in. And then he lifted up the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you for forgiveness. One of the reasons I'm so glad that Jesus went to the cross and surrendered his will to God is because if he didn't, there would have been no forgiveness of sins. There'd be no salvation. And without salvation, there'd be no ability to have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. And we wouldn't be able to hear the Spirit speak. And every time we take this together, it's a reminder that our God is with us. And that our God, Jesus, is close to us. And we know this because when he speaks, he always whispers. So let's take a moment right now to listen to the Holy Spirit, to ask him what he wants to surrender to us. Let's go ahead right now in a moment of silence. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. Spirit, come right now. Speak to your people. Let him speak to you. Now right now, the Spirit's speaking to you. He's, he's saying words or he's showing images of what you need to surrender to him. Don't resist. 
Let your posture be the same as Samuel. Here I am. You called me. And whatever it is that God has shown you, would you right now just go ahead and in, in your heart, just go ahead and just say, God, this is what I surrender to you. Surrender it to God right now. As you've surrendered to the Father right now, let's seal that by taking the, bread, the body and the blood of Jesus together right now. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Holy Spirit, thank you for meeting us. Thank you for speaking to us, God. Father, we, we come before you and we stand in awe of what you've done for us. And so as we are inclining and positioning ourselves to hear your voice, would you meet us right now? In your son's name. And I want to seal the, this moment of just surrender by entering into a time of worship. Let's worship right now and remember that our God is speaking to us always.